can run and hide in children's church now. <laughs> well, let's take our Bibles and we will turn to the book of Proverbs. We're coming to a close in our study in Proverbs shortly, and uh, we're going to take up a new study uh, this fall in the book of Galatians. So I look forward to uh, going into that wonderful book of Galatians, and uh, we would encourage you to, to come prepared to, to study uh, the book of Galatians, that, that wonderful book about Christian liberty and uh, what Jesus Christ has done in providing for us eternal life. But this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Proverbs, we're going to consider wisdom in regard to being the spouse that God wants you to be. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about our interpersonal relationships. We've seen relationships between uh, masters and servants. We've seen relationships that were addressed in the book of Proverbs as far as friends. But perhaps the, the closest of human relationships, marriage, is certainly an area of our life that we need to have wisdom in. And Proverbs has a lot to say about that relationship. Now, this morning we're going to be going into some texts that talk about the woman being contentious and things like that. Bear this in mind. Proverbs was written from father to son. So I believe that the applications that we'll be looking into this morning, while it's speaking of a wife... The book of Proverbs is addressed from father to son, so I would submit to you that some of the negative aspects of what we'll look into today and some of the positive aspects can be husband or wife. If Solomon were writing to his daughter, he would say the same things about watching out for these things in a husband. But since he's writing to his son, he's writing these things as a warning. And what we want to see as we go through this text are several things that address things we're to look for in a spouse if we're not married, or things that we're to develop as far as our own character if we are. Now, let me share this with you. This is not so that if you are married, you can look over at your spouse and elbow them, okay? This is not so that you can look and say, you hearing this? You getting this? That's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of this message is this. We need to look at areas of our own life that need to be addressed. Because here's the problem. If I'm looking at my spouse and I'm constantly saying, you know, these are your issues. And that's at the forefront of my mind. And I'm always thinking, these are the things that you really need to change in. You know what that does? That causes me to have a very negative and resentful attitude toward my spouse. I can't help but carry it. It also commits me to this idea that I have to change this person. Because what they're doing is so annoying, unless they change, I can't be happy. Let me encourage you with this. The Word of God teaches us that we can't change another person. Only God can do that. The only person that I can change and that I can work on is me. So as you look through these texts, consider 
what they say to you. What are the things that I personally need to strive toward? What are the things that I need to pray God will change in me? That's what I want you to do this morning as we look through these texts. Now what we're going to see is, first of all, the kind of spouse that we should be. And we're going to see that the kind of spouse that we should be is one who builds up our spouse. We're going to see that God has called us into a marriage relationship if we are married. God has called us into that relationship to be His channel through which He ministers to the spouse. Have you ever viewed yourself in that way? That's the way God wants you to view yourself. He wants you to see yourself as that unique person with a very special calling to be the channel through which His grace flows into the life of your spouse. And in order to do that, we have to first of all be a person of noble character. Now turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. And as we come to Proverbs chapter 12, the, the fourth verse, the Scripture says, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. This term, noble character, I believe it has application to both wife and husband, as I said earlier. But it's something that we should strive toward, and we need to strive toward it. And in order to do that, we have to understand what it means. What does it mean to be a person of noble character? When we look this up in the original language, it's a word that carries with it the idea of a strength of character. In other words, it's an adherence to a particular standard, a, a code, a system of right and wrong, and it is consistently following that. In other words, a person of noble character isn't someone who says, I'll do whatever I feel like doing in the moment. But it's a person who understands the standards of God and says, I will put into practice those standards moment by moment as I conduct myself. They will be my guide. I will decide what to do, when to do it, how to do it, on the basis of what God says. That's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be people of noble character, whether we're a husband or a wife. Now, why is that important? If I'm going on the basis of what I feel in the moment, there are going to be times where I'm not in a good mood. So if I feel like being crabby and nasty, if I'm not a person of character, I'll think only about myself and I'll lash out. If I do what I feel in the moment, I may not be faithful. If I do what I feel in the moment, I may do anything. There has to be an external code of standards that tells me consistently what must I do? How must I behave? How should I live? So a person of noble character operates according to that code of standards. And we all know what that code of standards is, don't we? It's the Word of God. God reveals to us what He wants us to be, how He wants us to behave. And so a person of noble character will consistently go to God's Word, see what it says, and then conduct themselves according 
to what God says, not what they feel in the moment. Now, the Scripture goes on toward the end of the book of Proverbs to talk about the wife of noble character. You know, it's that passage that you usually hear on Mother's Day where it's preached and all the women go home saying, I'm so inadequate. I'm not the Proverbs 31 woman who's perfect and does everything right. But it evidences to us in one part of that passage how rare it is to find people of noble character. Look at what's written. A wife of noble character. Who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Now, this gives us a glimpse into what it is to have noble character. Whether you're a husband or wife, this is what you should strive toward. God considers a person of noble character to be of greater worth than any material wealth that can be found. They are people that we can count on because of the consistency of their character. That's why the husband has full confidence in this wife and why he feels that he lacks nothing. And then look at that 12th verse. If you're a person who evidences that strength of character, you're going to bring good not harm into the life of your spouse. You're going to be there to encourage them, to strengthen them. Now, it's interesting. Turn with me for a moment to Proverbs 31, and let's just look very briefly at some of the thoughts that are additionally expressed in this particular passage. Proverbs 31. It goes on to delineate some of the things that this person of noble character does. And here's the interesting thing. When you have nobility of character, it not only affects you on your spiritual level, but it will affect every aspect of your life and make you a stronger person, make you a better person. That's the thing. God's Word is made to shape and mold us into the very image of God. So as we... Do what God's Word says, it will evidence itself even in what some might consider to be the mundane aspects of our life. God's Word is meant to be very practical. It's meant to be lived out. And that's what this person is doing. Look at what the Scripture says starting at verse 13. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girl. So the idea is there's an industriousness to this person. They have a strong work ethic. They're constantly seeking how they can bring good to their family. And you know, that's what a person with strength of character will do, whether they're husband or wife. Do the things that I do benefit my family? Am I bringing good to them? The text goes on to describe many behaviors, and I wish we had time to go into it, but basically she demonstrates wisdom, mercy, grace, 
love, all of these things. And it comes from what? Being a person of noble character, strength of character. So that's why I think we need to understand this. If I'm going to be a good husband or a good wife, I have to be a devout follower of God. God is the one who will transform me into being the very best husband or wife I can possibly be. And when I pursue that strength of character, it's going to evidence itself in every aspect of my life, especially in my home. That's what God wants us to be. That's how God wants us to behave. Another aspect. If I'm a spouse who builds up my spouse, then I need to view myself as the provision of grace in my spouse's life. I need to be the provision of grace that God wants me to be. Turn to Proverbs 18. (coughs) Proverbs chapter 18. And I want you to look at verse 22. Very simply, it states this, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now, this used to be translated, and still is, I believe, by the King James, He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And then some speaker would always say, right over there is my good thing. (laughs) Kind of demeaning, isn't it? I kind of like the way this is translated a little better. God blesses us by placing the spouse that he places in our relationship for us. That's the idea. Now, this goes back to the book of Genesis. Remember in the book of Genesis when it was talking about creation and everything that was created, God would say what? It was good. It was good. It was good. Then he gives Adam a job, and he tells Adam in the second chapter, I want you to name the animals. And as Adam is naming the animals, remember what transpires? He looks and he sees that each animal has one that corresponds to it, a male and a female. And as he looks at himself, he says, now wait a minute. They all have mates. I'm alone. So, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a a, a helper suitable for him. In all creation, this is the first time it says, It is not good. And God provides companionship, suitability, in bringing this spouse into the person's life. Now, Some of us might look and say, well, wait a minute. My marriage is suffering. I don't feel that the person that God gave me is doing their job. They're not as good as I'd like them to be. Let me tell you something. The Word of God teaches us 
that God controls the events of our life. If you are in a marriage now, you are in a marriage that you need to work on, develop, and try to make work. You need to understand that in this moment, you are a part of God's plan in that other person's life to be used of Him to work in them. Look carefully at this 22nd verse. After it says, he who finds a wife finds what is good, it goes on to say this, and receives favor from the Lord. It is through that spouse that the individual mentioned here in this 22nd verse experiences the favor of God, the grace of God. And rather than looking at your spouse and saying, now wait a minute, I don't think they're upholding their end of the job. I don't think that they're bringing favor into my life. Let me encourage you with this. View yourself as the person who brings God's grace and God's favor into the life of your spouse. You can't control how your spouse behaves. You can't look at them and say, you are God's channel through which he gives me favor, so therefore, you're not doing your job and I'm not going to do mine. Don't do that. You know what the scripture calls us to do? God calls us to be the channel through which we bless the spouse that he's called us into a relationship with. We are that channel, that conduit that God uses to bless and send grace into the life of another. And whether you have a cooperative spouse or an uncooperative spouse, you still have that calling and that responsibility. So my encouragement to you is this. Ask God how you can be a blessing to your spouse. Daily. Moment by moment. Stop focusing on where you feel that their failures are and start focusing on how can I be the channel through which the blessing of God flows into this life that he's joined me with. That change in perspective can do amazing things for your marriage. When we view ourselves in that way, our eyes begin to open as to the needs of our spouse. Maybe some of the things that they do are a cry for help. Maybe some of the things that they do are born out of frustration or fear. If I as an individual can look to my spouse and say, I am here to minister to you and to be that channel through which the grace of God flows, that's going to change me but it also may give God the opportunity to change them. Don't get discouraged and say, I'm going to quit until I see something happen in their life. Look at this as an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to minister to this person because this is who God has called me into this relationship with and I'm going to do what I need to do in serving them and in ministering to them. Third point, be prudent 
in the way you conduct yourself. Turn just a page or so over to Proverbs 19. And let's look at the 14th verse. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. We've seen that we want to have strength of character. We've seen that we want to be that provision for that other person of God's grace. But as we come to this, we see that we also want to be prudent. Now, what does it mean to be prudent? I ran across this definition in the theological word book of the Old Testament. And this is what it says. The process of thinking through a complex arrangement of thoughts, resulting in wise dealing and use of good practical common sense. Another end result is emphasis upon being successful. Now, let's put that into plain English. What it's saying is this. Being prudent is looking at a problem or a challenge and having the common sense and wisdom to find a workable solution. And that, in turn, brings success. So, a prudent person is someone who's able to take the principles of God's truth, apply it to a given situation, and then do what will bring about success. Now, how do we determine success? Success isn't the outcome that I want. Success is the outcome that God wants. So it's me putting into practice the principles of God and then trusting Him to bring about His purpose through my obedience. Not resisting against God, but yielding to God. Now some... In difficult marriages might look at what's been shared this morning and say, wait a minute, Pastor, you don't know my spouse. You don't understand how difficult it is. As I've counseled with many of you, I know that some of you are in difficult marriages. I know that sometimes it's difficult to put into practice these biblical principles. I understand that. But here's the thing. Obedience isn't determined by our circumstances. That's where faith kicks in. Faith kicks in when I come in and I say, God, I don't understand how this is going to work out. This looks like the opposite. If I'm obedient to you, this person is going to chew me up. How is this going to work? Faith and prudence comes in and says... God's sense isn't our sense. We wait on Him. We remain obedient. And we do what God says. Marriage very often is something that God uses in our lives to transform us as we face challenges and difficulties. It makes us a stronger person, a more compassionate person, one who endures. So let me encourage you. Be that person of prudence. Be the person who takes the principles of God and learns to live a life of common sense based on the Scripture, not your own sense. God's Word tells us, right at the beginning of Proverbs, that this Scripture was written for what purpose? Look, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, Now look at the third verse. 
for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. God's Word is there to give us prudence. That is, taking the principles of His truth and putting them into play. Now these are just a cross-section of what we're to be. I also wanted to look at three things that we're not to be. Don't bring a spouse who brings everyone down. Now, how do we do this? First of all, the Scripture warns against being disgraceful. And this term disgraceful means someone who brings shame to the family by your behavior. One of the most profound ways that a person can bring shame to their family is through infidelity. As a pastor over the years, I have seen so many marriages destroyed by infidelity. The hurt that is felt goes on generationally. As kids try to put the pieces back together because of the infidelity, it affects them for all their life. As the Christian community has seen Christian leaders who are unfaithful, their confidence in finding godly people that they can look up to is shaken. Infidelity is a disgrace to the individual, to the family, to the community of believers. So God warns us against being disgraceful. In the early chapters of Proverbs, as Solomon was writing to his son, he spoke of avoiding the wayward woman. And he said this, that God's truth, God's teaching will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her will attain the paths of life. Disgraceful behavior has consequences. And so, here's my encouragement to you. If you are unmarried, looking for a spouse, look for a person who evidences true nobility of character in the way they conduct themselves sexually. If a person is unfaithful before you marry them, there's a high likelihood that they will be unfaithful when you do. Common sense. So we need to understand the importance of finding someone who understands that they are to be faithful before the Lord. And listen, if you've failed in this area and you've been promiscuous, you can repent and change your character. That's the beauty of God's redemption and transformation. But a person who going into the marriage has been and continues to be unfaithful, marriage will not change that. That vow will not bring them to a place to where they say, oh, now that I've 
made this vow, things will change. So look for a person who demonstrates character, integrity, before you marry them. And then if you are married, let me encourage you with this. Be faithful to your spouse. Do not become a disgrace by falling into the temptation of a relationship with someone outside your marriage. Let me tell you, Satan is a master at finding us in a vulnerable place. You have a spat at home, you go into the workplace, a good-looking member of the opposite sex comes up to you and starts listening and saying, oh, you poor thing, that's just awful. Then you start looking forward to seeing them. Then you kind of arrange opportunities to see them so you'll just run into each other. And it progresses into something that becomes shameful. Protect your marriage. See the importance of protecting what God has called you into. Because if you fail in this area, you bring disgrace on yourself, on your family, on the community of believers that you associate with. God wants to see faithfulness, strength of character in this. You know, when I was in a previous church, there was an individual who was the chairman of practically everything in the church and then a Christian school outside. The guy had the largest Sunday school class that was in our church of 1,200. 70 or 80 people went to it. Young people. Guess what he was teaching on? Marriage. Then I heard through the grapevine that he had fallen into an affair with a woman that he met at a health club. I rebuked the person who told me that and said, don't gossip. But then, to my dismay, I found out that it was true. And let me tell you, I had two of his kids in my college ministry. I was the college pastor at that church. A 19-year-old and a 21-year-old. They were devastated. There was a 5-year-old that had come later in the marriage, broken. The wife was one of the most godly women I've ever met. She was a, a, a champion of the faith, broken. And every ministry that he had touched in the church was shaken. The testimony in the community that had been built up for three decades, shot, completely gone. All because he abandoned the teachings of God's Word and struck off on his own. God wants us to be people with a strength of character. And when we aren't, it's a rapid death to a marriage, to a reputation. It brings shame that can't be sent away. Proverbs 12, 4. 
We looked at that moments ago and it said a wife of noble character is a husband's crown. Then look at the opposite. But a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. Don't be that disgraceful spouse by abandoning the truth of God. Now let's look at the next point. Don't be disagreeable. One of the funny things, I think, in the book of Proverbs is the description of the contentious wife. Now, let me say this. I have met plenty of contentious men as well. So guys, if you've quoted these things to your wife in an argument, cut it out. All right? We can be contentious too. The scripture here is talking to a son, so that same principle applies. But let's talk for a moment about what it means to be disagreeable. Turn to Proverbs 19.13. In Proverbs 19.13, it says this. A foolish son is his father's ruin. And then look at the next statement. A quarrelsome wife is like constant dripping. Now, have you ever tried to go asleep at night, go to sleep at night, with the faucet dripping? We had a, a, a tub gasket that went bad. And our room is right next to the bathroom. Drip. 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 I'm trying to go to sleep. Drip. Drove me nuts. I put towels underneath it and then it was pat. Pat. <laughs> pat. Put a bowl underneath it. Pop. 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 Finally, you go down and turn off the water for the whole house because you just can't stand it anymore. It gets on your nerves. And that's what a complaining disagreeable person is like, where the disgrace brings a swift death to the marriage, this can bring that slow death, but just as certain. We need to be careful not to be that contentious, disagreeable person. We need to be careful not to be that person that constantly runs to a fight turns everything into an issue, complains about everything. You know how discouraging it is when you've made an effort to do something and all the spouse does is say, okay, here's what you did wrong. And then starts down the list. Talk about a morale buster. If you've done that to your spouse... Does that encourage the spouse to do something again? And maybe try and do a little better? No. They come home and they're in all smiles. Look what I did. Here's what you can expect. And then, oh man, you got this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. And then you're like, why try? Why bother? We need to be careful of that. Being disagreeable, contentious can destroy marriage over time. So look at yourself. And let me encourage you. This morning, 
don't look at your spouse on these things. Yeah, they really are disagreeable. You know, that's, that's not the purpose of this. You know what the purpose is? Look at ourselves and ask ourselves, am I being disagreeable? And let me say this to you real quickly. Being disagreeable, contentious, argumentative stems from pride. And if you're immediately looking at yourself saying, I'm never disagreeable. I'm always kind, always good, always the person who's the bigger person and gives in. Then you're probably disagreeable. Because you're proud. Okay? Be careful not to be disagreeable. It's like that steady drip, 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 and you will drive your spouse nuts. As a matter of fact, I, I love this next proverb. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 9. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Now that says a lot. You know what it's saying? It makes the person want to go hide. Right? If they're just bugging me so much I can't stand it, I'm just going to remove myself from the situation. And really, th- this sounds funny. You can picture the guy crouching up in the corner of his roof, you know. Uh, you know. Or the woman, right? But I think there's more insight into this than humor. When we push, when we quarrel, the other person withdraws. And as one who has counseled for many years, you know what I see? Somebody pushing, someone driving, the other one withdraws. They push harder, they drive harder to try and bring them out, they withdraw further. And it's a setup for failure for the marriage. The more the one pushes, the more the other withdraws. The more the other withdraws, the harder they push. And then eventually... There's not much left. Look to yourself and ask yourself, am I the quarrelsome one? Do I pick fights? Do I complain incessantly? Let me tell you, choose your battles. Don't fight over where the toothpaste tube is squeezed. That's inconsequential. You don't like where it's squeezed, then smash it up and put it back. Learn to be a person who shows forbearance. And don't be quarrelsome. When we look at it, when we quarrel with another person and complain, you know what we're saying? You didn't do something the way I wanted you to do it. And you know what drives that? Selfishness, pride. There's one way of doing things, and it's my way, and it's the right way. And if you can't do it that way, then you're going to hear about it. God wants us to be transformed in that, not to be that contentious, quarrelsome person. Then look at Proverbs 27, 15. Proverbs 27, 15. Returning to the theme... A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. He goes on to say this. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. 
if you're a quarrelsome person, what happens when the other person tries to, to put a stop to the argument? You know, just say, I'm tired of arguing. Let's, let's, let's try and work these things out. When you are so committed to winning the day and the argument, you're going to be impossible to restrain. You're going to keep pushing and keep driving, and you'll drive the other person away. And that ought not to be. God wants us to be gracious and kind to one another. Don't view the other person as the difficult person right now. Look to yourself and ask, is there something in me that I can change? Something in me that I need to look at, confess before God, and be transformed in. God can do that. Final point, don't be destructive. I want us to close on this one, Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wise, and I'm going to substitute spouse. The wise spouse builds their house. But with their own hands, the foolish one tears theirs down. Listen, you can be a person who builds your house. You can be a person that's used of God to transform your home into a godly home. You can be the person that's used of God to see people benefit from you being a contributing part of the family. Or you can be that selfish person that comes in with your own hands and systematically rips the place apart. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, not whether or not I'm married to somebody who's tearing the house apart, because you can't control that. But ask yourself this, am I the person tearing my home apart? Am I the person that's bringing difficulty into this house and causing division? Do I need to look at myself and change something? that the house might be built up rather than torn down. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text.